This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com Major funding for this Tanya class is provided by the Mettel Corporation. Additional funding is provided by Tanya students like you. Lessons in Tanya The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi Taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg We are in the middle of letter number 19, page 334. The Kabbalah explains that Moshe's prophecy only reached the level, the lowest level of the, the world of the divine emanation. While in the Zohar, the Arizal, we find that the Kabbalah discusses much higher levels. How is it possible that Rabbi Shimon Bayechoi and Rabbi Isaac Luria were able, were knew about, were aware of le- levels that are beyond the levels that Moshe was able to perceive? And the answer is that it's two different things. There's knowing, there's being aware of, and then there is experiencing, prophecy, seeing. Seeing is a whole is a whole different a whole different level. Although it's only a metaphor, of course they're not seeing physically with the naked eye, but nevertheless it's an accurate metaphor. That Hashem has revealed himself. So the prophetic vision, to be able to see and experience, to absorb, it's a revelation. It's a direct revelation. It's experienced as a seeing. So to see is different than to know, to be aware. To know and to be aware of, I could be aware of the highest levels, the loftiest levels. But it's an awareness, it's abstract knowledge, it's abstract information. I can't see those levels. Prophecy is seeing and experiencing. So he says seeing and experiencing, that's only on the lowest levels of the world of emanation. So so Moshe, as a wise man, was able to, was aware of all these levels, just like surely he was aware of all these levels. Rabbi Shimon Bayechai, and the Ari were aware of all these higher levels and lofty levels. Surely he was aware. But to see and to be there and to experience, it's like being there in person. You can know about something. You can study about a country. You can study about the culture. But going there and being there and experiencing it and immersing yourself in it, it's a whole different story. You can't compare you can learn about history, but, but if you talk to someone who lived it, it's a whole different, a whole different story. You know, otherwise it's just abstract. You know? So, a prophet is there. You know, there's a famous uh, story, Rabbi Dovber, the Magadim is rich. He had his colleague. They both studied Kabbalah together, and then Rabbi Dovber ended up being the leader of the Hasidic community. And his colleague became a businessman a very successful businessman who would spend most of his time studying 
twice a year, he would go to the big marketplace, he would buy wholesale, and the rest of the year he lived off selling merchandise. Anyway, when they met, the colleague noticed that Dover, the Magad Mizrich, is spending a long time praying. He's praying for hours. So that was one of the things that the Balshamtiv innovated, introduced, that concept reintroduced, says in the Mishnah. Hasidim, the early Hasidim would pray nine hours a day. So he reintroduced the idea of praying and really spending time praying. So he said, I don't understand. We both studied Kabbalah together. I know all the Kabbalistic intentions, and it takes me half of the time to pray. Why are you taking your time? So he says, let me ask you. You, two months out of the year, you have to give up your studies, you have to travel. It's a pain in the neck. It steals your time. Why don't you just close your eyes, sit at home, close your eyes, and imagine. Imagine that you're renting a horse and buggy and imagine that you're traveling to the marketplace and imagine that you're dealing and handling and getting the deal good deal and imagining you're loading your merchandise and imagine bringing it home and imagine selling it and imagine your money in the bank <laughs> and your whole experience instead of a month will take you a half hour <laughs> he smiles it's very nice but I won't have the merchandise I need the merchandise I can't make a living off imagination I need the merchandise so the Bavidovber said, you just answered your own question. It's one thing to know, Kabbalistically, to know all these levels, and to be aware of it. He says, but I want to be there. I want to experience it. I want to actually be there, to physically be there, to actually have the merchandise, and to be there. That takes time. That is no substitutes. That is no, no shortcuts. So prophecy is when you actually want to see, want to experience. That's why, why do you spend time praying? In prayer, you're not saying anything new. So by the way, it says prayer, the Hasidim, the early Hasidim would reach a level of prophecy during prayer, a reflection of prophecy. They would go beyond their ego and they would completely transcend their egos and rise above themselves and open themselves up to experience godliness. It's like a prophecy. What happens in prayer? In prayer, you're not learning anything new. As a matter of fact, it's the same prayer every day. It's so predictable. You, you can pray for 120 years. You know exactly the next word is and the next word. Every day, over and over and over and over and over again. Because what am I trying to accomplish in prayer? In prayer, I'm not trying to learn something new. I'm not trying to... But in prayer, I'm trying to take something that I already learned and understood well and digested and even and then before prayer you think about it again you meditate it and reflect on it again until you sense the energy the energy in this idea and then in prayer then in prayer, you want to get excited about the godliness. You want to experience, touch something godly. You want to experience something godly. That's a whole new meditation, a whole new reflection, a whole new effort. And there are no shortcuts. It takes time. So first, you've got to break your head, bust your head to figure it out, to understand it. And to understand it sharply and crisply 
has to be a crisp understanding, a sharp understanding, with a concept that's clearly understood. It's defined, it's understood, it is this and not that. And, and you, when something is understood very clearly and very precisely and very clearly defined, you know, it gives you, you have a certain intellectual pleasure. When something is sharp and crystal clear in your mind, it's a tremendous intellectual satisfaction when you truly grasp an idea. Then before prayer, then you meditate and reflect and digest the idea, and then you, you, you become enthusiastic about the idea. So it's not just an intellectual satisfaction, you sense the energy but then the ultimate level, in prayer, you want to reach something that's close to prophecy. You want to experience the godly. So it's, it's levels. It's three different levels. First you have the intellectual level. Mathematically figuring it out and understanding it. Mathematically understanding it. And then you reach a more spiritual level. You feel the energy. You feel the behind the idea. And then you reach the highest level. You want to sense the godliness. And that's when you go beyond your ego and you touch something godly. And that's truly exciting. And it's truly memorable. And that leaves an impression, a lasting impression, at least for the rest of the day. You sense something godly, it will launch your day. You'll be centered for the day, you'll be focused for the day, you'll be connected through the day. So, prophecy is a whole different thing. It's an experience. It's, it's seeing. You can't compare seeing to hearing. Hearing is abstract. Hearing is intellect, understanding. But seeing, experiencing, that's a whole different ballgame. It's a whole different story. So that's what prophecy is. Prophecy is when you, sense, you see God in so to see godliness, you can't, there's limits how much you could reach. Even Moshe, the greatest prophet that ever lived, could only reach the level of, highest level of prophecy, he could reach the lowest level of the world of the divine emanation. That's the level that he, he can see and he can experience. Beyond that, can't see. The human being is too finite and too limited. So even someone as refined and egoless as Moshe, the most humble person that lived and will ever live, completely humble, completely egoless, still in all, we're limited, we're finite. There's a limit to what we can see, perceive, and experience. Our sages have put taught that a wise man is superior to a prophet because through his wisdom he can apprehend levels of divinity far higher than those that can descend by means of revelation of the prophets and their prophetic vision. Since the revelation of prophecy is visual, the most sublime levels, such as supernal chachma, cannot possibly be revealed and seen below. Forget one of the sons of the children of the Tzemach Tzedek, you know, became a Rebbe. Many of them became Rebbe's in the different cities. So one time, I believe it was Rosh Hashanah, and he was speaking, he said a Hasidic discourse, and he was speaking very, very high levels. And he was in a great mood. He was like revealing very profound concepts of Hasidus and talking about 
the level of Keter and the level of Adam Kadmin and the level of in the infinite and beyond the Tzimtzum. He was talking like very, very, the highest levels Kabbalah discusses. And then he says, that's the difference in this world and the world to come. So in the world to come, you can only speak about the level that you're at. It's called the world of truth. So whatever level you're at, that's the level you can speak of. The advantage of this world is, it's a false world. But on the other hand, this world, you can reach to the highest highs. You can reach and discuss ideas that are so beyond us. Concepts that are so mind-blowing and mind-boggling and so beyond our whole frame of reference. And, and we can talk about it. Just, but you have to be sure, don't be a fool. You know, you can get carried away. You're talking about things and you don't make a personal connection. You're talking about the loftiest levels. But uh, don't leave yourself out of the picture. It has to have some effect on us also. It has to have some effect on us. But the idea that in this world, the advantage of this world, that's what he says, a wise man is superior to a prophet. Because prophecy is limited. Prophecy, I can only see what I experience, the levels that I'm at. The levels that I'm worthy of, the levels that, that I can achieve, the levels that I can be there and experience. And it's totally transformational. It changes me. The prophet is a changed person. He's a different person. When you have these experiences, when you experience godliness, it changes you. You become a different person. When Manali says, there's a moment before you were a prophet, and after you become a prophet, something comes over you. You don't even recognize yourself. You sense that something happened. I'm a different person. As it says about Shaul, everyone suddenly looked at Shaul and he was a different person. When you experience prophecy, it changes you. It transforms you. You become a, become a different person. However, a wise man, you can talk about the loftiest levels. The only problem is it doesn't change you. <laughs> it doesn't necessarily change you or affect you. So you're carried away and you're talking about the levels of the world of emanation and the highest level of the world of emanation and even levels that are beyond that, the world of Keter, of Arachampin and, 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 and Attic, and then you talk about the level of Adam Kadmin, primordial man, and then you talk about the Tzimtzum and beyond the Tzimtzum and the self and the infinite light. And you can go on and carry, get so carried away in loftiest discussions and loftiest levels. So you're not limited. The universe is your, the whole world is, is your canvas. But the prophet is limited because the prophet could only see a level that he could reach, that he can hold by, that he can, he becomes that level. He becomes a vessel, a vehicle for that level. So the wise man is superior to the prophet. Now, if you had a choice to meet a prophet or to meet a wise man, what do you think the wise thing, what do you think the wise man would choose? <laughs> We'd all run to the prophet. It's very nice. But firstly, the prophet is probably a wise man also. To be a prophet, you got to be wise. So whatever the wise man knows, the prophet also knows as a wise man. But to meet someone who saw Hashem, who sees godliness, who, who is godly, his being has become transformed. How could you compare? How could you compare? Seeing to hearing. But Talmud says the wise man is superior to the prophet. Because he, he can, with his wisdom, he can understand and be aware and learn about things that are way beyond. Things that are so lofty that he can never truly experience it. He can never truly be there. But with wisdom, you can reach very far. The reach is much further. You can reach very, very far. So the reach of wisdom is much greater 
than the reach of prophecy. But who is superior, the prophet or the, or the wise man? Of course the prophet. But the reach of wisdom is superior, is much greater than the reach of prophecy. The reach of prophecy is limited. You can only be transformed so much. You can only be a vessel and a vehicle for the lowest level of the world, of the divine world of emanation. So to speak, I can see Hashem's back, but I can't see His face. So I can see, I see Hashem, but I see His back, not His face. I can't see His face. For only the lowest levels can descend and become revealed to the prophet, namely the levels of Netzach, Chalish, Bethlehem, and Malchus. For it is they that always descend and become revealed from the emanator to the recipient in a form of intellectual perception and creative life force. Thus it is known to the students of Kabbalah that for Netzach, Chalish, Yisod, Malchus, i.e. the lowest level, the high realm, best themselves in the lower realm in order to animate it. For they are the conduits of the beneficent flow that bring down the life force from the higher level to the lower with respect to all the worlds and levels. Every level has three levels. You have the level for itself, inward. For example, a teacher. A teacher understands something for himself. On his own level, he understands it. Then there is the way he tries to understand it so that he can bring it down to the low, to the student. You know, there's the emotional level. He loves the student and he wants to share his ideas, his concepts, his understanding, his brilliance with his student. And then there's the actual bringing it down to the level of the student. Chewing it down, breaking it down, bringing it into, with, explaining it with parables and similes and illustrations and bringing it into the world of the student. Now this parable, for the teacher, this is like the lowest level. It's external, it's completely external, superficial to the teacher. He doesn't need a parable. For himself, he doesn't need any parables. He understands the concept. He's thinking about the concept on his own level. And he comprehends the concept on his own level and comprehends it well and in depth. The parable is completely superficial. It's like speech, completely superficial. The person who's speaking doesn't need speech for himself. Speech is entirely for the, for the audience, the person who's listening. But for the audience, that speech becomes the source. That becomes the source of their intellect. That parable becomes a wellspring of brilliance and wisdom and knowledge and learning and enlightenment and insightfulness. So by the teacher, what's the lowest level that, that's the part that's revealed. That's the part that enables him to lower himself into the level of the student. But for the student, that becomes the wellspring and the source for all his wisdom. That becomes the head. The lowest level becomes the beginning and the origin and the teaching for the lower level. So that's the meeting ground. It's the lowest level of the teacher that becomes the head and the source and the beginning of the, for the student. So that's what in the Kabbalah, that's called the Nehim. The Nehim is the lowest levels. And that's it's almost like the legs. The legs move a person forward. You have the brain, which is for yourself. You have the heart, which is your emotions, your love. You want to give. You want to give to the student. You want to share. You want to teach. 
And then you actually have the legs that will take you forward, that move you forward, that get the job done, that take you from place to place. Take the idea and bring it down to the level of the, to the receiver, to the student. So what by the teacher is completely external, the legs is completely external to the person, that becomes the head and the source for the student. So the only level that could be revealed is the most external and superficial level. There's such a wide gap between the teacher and the student, the student cannot possibly understand the teacher in his own level. It's only when the teacher is revealed and steps away from himself and moves forward and, and then he lowers himself, reveals himself. So that's the revelation. So by the teacher, it's actually a concealment, a cover-up. It's a parable, it's an illustration, it's a, a silly parable, a martial, a simile. It's just a cover-up on the depth and the brilliance of the teacher, because the brilliance of the teacher is so dazzling, if it wasn't covered up, the student would be completely lost. So what's, by the teacher, a cover-up, by the student, is a revelation. It's a shocking, stunning revelation. A whole new world opens up, a whole new way of thinking. So the level, that's what saying, the level of prophecy could only come from the lowest level of the world of emanation, the levels of Netzach, and Malchus, which is the revelation and the lowering and the external and the interaction between the teacher and the student, so to speak. And that becomes the source of prophecy. That's the highest level that prophecy could reach. So it's like seeing, it's like seeing Hashem. You see His back, you see Hashem. Now that's a startling experience. Imagine if you saw, you went home tonight and you saw the Lubavitcher Rebbe. He doesn't have to say anything. You just saw him in your living room. <laughs> you would probably, you'd probably faint, <laughs> catch a heart attack. You would be overwhelmed. You would be changed forever. You would be talking about this experience in the most astonishing terms. He didn't say anything. He's just there. Doesn't have to say anything. Just his presence. So it's not anything internal. He's not sharing anything with you. He didn't tell you anything. He's not speaking to you. He's not giving any directives. He's not fabringing with you. He's not teaching you a Maimar Chassidus. Just, just, he's there. <laughs> wow, that's, a, that's all you need. You're already off the chair. You're already falling off the chair. You're already. So imagine if you see Hashem. That's all you do. You see Hashem. You don't see his, he's not, even if he's not sharing with you his inner wisdom and his inner, so to speak, his brilliance. Just the fact that you see Hashem's presence. You see the back of Hashem, you see Hashem's presence, he's there. That's enough to sear into your soul, it's enough to change you. That's enough to transform you forever and ever. So that's, that's the lowest level, just his being, his presence, you can, you can see, you sense. You see, you sense Hashem's presence, you see His presence. So we can know of Hashem, we can be aware of Hashem, we can study about Hashem, but we can study for 120 years, it's abstract, it's wisdom, it's knowledge, it's awareness. But imagine if you actually see Hashem, you experience, you sense, Hashem appears to you, and you see, let alone if you hear, you would fall off your chair. I mean, that would, 
that's the most powerful, most intense, most profound experience. Imagine, Elijah the prophet appeared to you. Right? Think you would ever forget that experience? <laughs> well, multiply that infinite times. If Hashem, God Almighty Himself, appears to you, you see His back. Just the presence, the sense of His presence, in the sense that He's literally right here. And he's speaking to you, and you're with him. That's something that's going to leave an indelible mark for you forever and ever. So that's the level of prophecy. So it's considered by Hashem the lowest level. Like the legs moving forward and revealing himself to us, the way we can reveal himself to us. By us, that's the highest level. It's the greatest level. That's the beginning, the head, the beginning of of insight and wisdom and inspiration. So that's the meeting point. The contact, the point of contact between the teacher and the student is the lowest level of the teacher. Becomes the contact point, and that becomes the, the origin, the, the beginning point for the student. That's the meeting point. Hence, they also become revealed to the prophets as an actual revelation, <coughs> i.e. prophecy. Within these four spherot is vested the light of Bina, the attribute of which relates to the understanding, the godliness that emanates from the light of the blessed and so, and within Bina are vested the external aspects of Chokhmah, which are a level that transcends perception and comprehension of divinity. For the term Chokhmah, denotes the source of conception and comprehension. As explained in Tanya, part 1, chapter 18, the word chokhmah comprises two words, koachmah, the faculty of the unknown, for it is a faculty that cannot be grasped intellectually. This is why it is stated in the Zohar that the Torah derives from chokhmah. For the reason for the commandments have not been revealed in rational terms, they transcend conception and comprehension, i.e. chokhmah. And even in the occasional places where some apparently intelligible reason has been revealed and explained, this reason alone, which is understandable to us, is not the ultimate and full reason. We have not yet plummeted it better within this reason, infected the innermost core of the principle and mystic principle of chokhmah that transcends comprehension and understanding. When we say reason for a mitzvah, tam a mitzvah, tam. A tam is a reason, but a tam also means a taste. That all we're getting is a tiny little taste, a little glimmer. It's less than a little drop of the ocean, of this infinite ocean. All the explanations in the world that we have for the mitzvot, explanations that we learn, Talmudic explanations, Kabbalistic explanations, even Hasidic explanations, it doesn't exhaust the reason for the mitzvah. These explanations don't really explain anything. they just little tastes, tiny, tiny drop of what's behind all these mitzvahs. Even Moshe Rabbeinu, who's been in the Garden of Eden over 3,000 years, 3,300 years, 
And every day he advances three times a day and he grows and advances in his insights and his learning and his understanding of the Torah. All of these understandings is just a drop in the ocean in comparison to what the Torah really contains. Barely scratches the surface. It's just a taste. Hashem is giving us a little tiny taste. But the under, real reason and what's really behind it is way beyond all these reasons. And that's why when a Jew does a mitzvah, it's important that we do the mitzvah because this is what Hashem wants. I'm not doing the mitzvah because of the reason. As the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe says, the world makes a mistake. The world says, meaning the Torah world says, that you should fulfill the chukim, you should fulfill the transcendent mitzvah with the same way as you fulfill the mishpatim, the rational mitzvah. And Hasidus says just the opposite. You should fulfill the mishpatim, the so-called seemingly rational, logical, sensible mitzvah. You should fulfill them the same way you fulfill the chukim, the transcendent mitzvah. Because they're divine, they're godly, you have no understanding of it. So too, you should fulfill all the mitzvah. And that's why Yosef says here, he says, even in the occasional places where some apparently intelligible reason has been revealed, you should know that that's not the ultimate and final reason. Wait a minute. Most cases we know the reason. The only very few mitzvot that are chukim, the category of chukim is a handful of mitzvot. Most mitzvot are in the category of mishpatim or edut, so why does he say those few places that the reason was revealed? What do you mean most places the reason was revealed? So the Rebbe explains, because the truth is, even those mitzvot where the mitzvah is revealed, where the reason is revealed, it's only a general reason. But when you get into the specifics of the mitzvot, we have no clue the details, specifics, like for the sacrifices, for example. So whatever rationale, the many rationales given for sacrifices, Maimonides and Nachmanides and others. But all these rationales explain the general mitzvah of sacrifice. When you get into the details, why here it has to be seven bulls and it has to be one ram. And why here it has to be a male and here it has to be a female. Here it must be a sheep and here it must be a goat. And, and here it must be a bull. And only this age and not a... And all these specifics, details, we have no clue. What's the reason? Why? Because this is what Hashem wanted. So we have no idea behind this reason. The reasons were never revealed to us. Even those mitzvahs that are rational, it's the general mitzvah that's rational. But the details of the mitzvah, they all fall into the category of chukim. Almost all of them fall into the category of chukim. We don't know. And just like the truth is, Maimonides says, chukim also have some idea. We have some concept, some clue. Even behind the transcendent mitzvot, we have some idea. And we have to look for those ideas. We have to search for those ideas. But in general, these mitzvot are, are mysteries, are transcendent mitzvot, but they have some little idea. And most mitzvot have, are generally rational, logical, but the details are transcendent. We have no idea. So he's saying, even those few places where we do have ideas about the details and why this and that, it's just a taste. It doesn't scratch the surface, let alone plumb the depth of what's behind and underneath all these, all these mitzvahs. So the reasons of the mitzvah was not revealed. It's beyond seichel. It remains 
beyond intellect. It's beyond revelation. The level of the Torah has been revealed to us. The reasons and the part that makes sense to us, that we study and we learn and make sense to us. That's only the external. The internal. The level of Chachma, which is really connected to the source of Chachma, to the subconscious, which transcends the rational and the logic, logical mind. That remains intact that remains whole that was never really revealed all that's been revealed is the most external superficial part and just a little taste a little glimmer just to give us a little understanding and the entire garden of eden which is a reward for all the torah that we learned that you get to study torah and learn it in a deeper way in a more profound way and get into the deeper meanings and the deeper understandings and even Moshe, who's been studying Torah for thousands of years, as the Tzemach Tzedek says, yeah, it's, all he has achieved is a glimmer of a ray, a little, a little tiny drop in the ocean in comparison to what the Torah contains. Because the Torah essentially is beyond intellect. The internal part of the Torah, that remains on a level that's unrevealed. It's beyond revelation. That remains intact and whole. And that's what the Zohar means, that the Torah comes from wisdom. It derives from wisdom, because it has not been revealed. The reasons, the true reasons, the ultimate reason, have, are, have not been revealed. They're beyond revelation. They're beyond the rational, logical understanding. The same is true with respect to every word uttered by the mouth of the Holy One, blessed be to the prophets, as recorded in the Tanakh. Every word of prophecy found in the Tanakh is applicable not only to the generation that first heard them, but to all future generations as well, whether they be words of admonition as transmitted by the prophets or narratives of incidents. An incident is recorded in the Tanakh not only as history, but also as an eternal message for all generations. Vested in them, in these words of rebuke or narrative, is an aspect of the divine Chokmah that transcends conception and comprehension. This is empirically evident from the principle of Cree, the scriptural text as read, and Ketiv, the scriptural text as written, the two not always being identical. The Cree reflects the comprehension of the text as revealed to us, the Ketiv, transcends conception and comprehension. For every word in the prophets, in the writings, which is a godly revelation, contains within it godliness, which transcends comprehension. So every story in the Tanakh, it's eternal. It's, you know, Hashem... Every word and every letter in the Torah, every story, is here to teach us. It's an eternal lesson. Not just ancient history. It's not just recording something that happened thousands of years ago. Hashem is speaking to us today, this moment. So it's relevant to each and every one of us. So you have the level that we understand. We understand the story, we read the story, we understand it. But then you have what's contained inside of it. 
it contains godliness, contains something that's really beyond our understanding. And that's why it's eternal, and that's why it's in force. That's why it's not just a story. If it's just a story, the story happened. Why am I reading it today? Because it contains something eternal, it contains something godly, it contains something that transcends logic, transcends time, transcends space, transcends us. It's, it's people, it's a constant, continuous, eternal lesson. So that's the internal aspect of the Torah. The level of Chachma, the source of intellect. And that's not something that could be revealed. What's revealed to us is only the external part. But the internal part is something that's beyond revelation. But the the external part that is revealed to us does contain contains within it the infinite contains within it that internal part so we don't perceive it we don't see it but it's there we're just able to perceive the external but it's there. The Chachma, the source of Chachma, is there. That's the source of intellect. So within the words, within the letters, within the story, within the, it contains the infinite. It contains Hashem Himself. But that's the face of Hashem you can't see. But it's there. Hashem is there. Hashem's face is in the Torah. We don't see it, we can't see it, but it's there. All we can see and perceive is the external. Just like our whole understanding of the Torah just reaches the superficial, the external, the surface. There's so much more to the Torah. But the face of Hashem, you can't see. We can't contain it. We're too finite, we're too limited to truly exhaust the Torah, to truly plumb its depth, to truly understand it fully, grasp it fully. We can only understand and grasp according to our level. We have deeper understanding and deeper understanding. We could reach even a higher level of understanding and a deeper level of understanding. But ultimately, we're just scratching the surface. It's just the level that we can understand, which is the most external and superficial part of the Torah. But the Torah itself remains something unwrapped and untouched, something that we can't... We don't even have the tools with which to see, grasp, comprehend the, uh, the depth of the Torah. So it's not only prophecy that's limited. The truth is even wisdom. You know, our whole understanding of the Torah is really very, very external, very superficial. But the Torah itself is infinite. Every word, every letter contains the face of Hashem. But we can't sense it. We don't perceive it. 
we just get a, a drop, a drop in the ocean. That's why we have to study Torah with such reverence. We have to realize that Torah is so holy. Why was the temple destroyed? Because they forgot the holiness of the Torah. They didn't make a blessing before. They didn't realize. They thought it was just an intellectual exercise to prove how brilliant they are and to sharpen their minds. And not realizing here that you're dealing here with the face of Hashem. You're dealing here with the infinite. Every word, every letter contains every mitzvah, every story. Every, it contains within it the infinite depth of Hashem. You have to approach the Torah with tremendous modesty. And that's why Moshe was the one who could receive the Torah, because Moshe was so modest. And he approached the Torah with a sense of modesty. And therefore, he merited the most, the maximum that a human being could merit. There are many words in the Torah you'll find where it's written one way, and yet it's pronounced a different way. So if it's pronounced a different way, why are, we, why are we writing it differently? Because there's two meanings. There's the Torah that's overt, the Torah that we understand, a level that we understand, and that's very superficial. And accordingly, we have the Kari, the way you're supposed to read it. That's revealed. That's how you read it. That's how you understand it. That's how you interpret it. But then you have written because it contains a much, much deeper, deeper level of understanding and a much a whole different way of understanding which cannot be revealed can be read publicly it can be under, can be revealed but it contains within it this infinite depth and infinite wisdom it's a particular word in its written form has no comprehensible garment though it's read aloud it does have such a garment that is it is readily comprehensible an example of this would be the verse know that the Hashem is Hashem, He has made us yellow and new. His people are the sheep of His pasture. The Katif form of the word fellow ends with an Elam, while the Kri form of the word ends with a According to the latter form, the verse is readily comprehensible. Know that the Hashem is Hashem. He has made us yellow and new and we are his. In the Katif form, however, the verse reads, he has made us and not us. While this has meaning on a more sublime level, in the simple sense, the Katif of this verse seems exceedingly difficult to comprehend. Right, so sometimes the writing and, the, and the, the way it's pronounced and the way it's written is opposites. You know, we are as people or we're not as people. It's a huge difference. It's with al aleph means v'loyanachna, we're not as people. With avav means we are as people. Opposite meanings. And it makes sense if he says we, we're trying to say we are as people. What would be the meaning of saying that we're not as people? But that's not the way we, we pronounce it, and it's not the overt meaning. The overt meaning is we are as people. That's why we read it, that's how we announce it. But the way it's written is it written the exact opposite. It has a mysterious meaning that we don't know, we're not aware of. But this is just an example. So, but throughout the Torah we see, it just hints, the fact that this is revealed. This reveals that everything, the whole Torah is really that way. You know, Nachmanari says that the whole Torah is really the names of Hashem. 
And when the Torah was written, if you're in the Torah itself, there's no breaks for words. Um, I mean, there's no there's no break for uh, for uh, right right. You can read if the Torah was in the, initially originally the Torah was all like together, and it could read many ways, and it can have many many meanings, and you know the many it contains many many possibilities, infinite possibilities, and different uh, interpretations and meanings. So the Torah is the way it's broken down, the way we read it in words and sentences. Sukkim, and paragraphs, and parshias. But then there is a way the Torah could be read differently, and the letters are together, and it reads differently, and it's... So the Torah that we know, the way we read it, is only the external, the surface, superficial level of the Torah, the way it's lowered and revealed in a way that we can understand. But the infinite depth of the Torah remains a mystery remains beyond us and beyond our <coughs> capability to comprehend. Beyond even our capacity to comprehend. Not only in this world, even in the Garden of Eden. Even the soul of Moses in the Garden of Eden for thousands of years and going from one breakthrough to another breakthrough, from one higher level, sublime level to another sublime level, all he's doing is scratching the surface, just touching a drop in the ocean, tip of the tip of the iceberg. That's how much, how infinite, how much infinite depth is to be found in every word and letter in the Torah and the Tanakh. The same applies to the large letters that are occasionally found in the Tanakh. They derive from the sublime world, from the sphere of Bina, and radiate from there opening up to a garment, like the other letters. You have three levels of letters. You have small letters, you have average letters. Most letters in the Torah are average letters. You have the occasional small letter. As in Vayikra, the Aleph is small, and you have the occasional uh, huge letter, the Shema, the huge Ayin, Hashem the huge Dalid, or in the beginning of the Book of Chronicles, Adam is a huge Aleph. So different levels, different letters, and the size correspond to different levels. So you have the average letter, which is revealed, and then you have the great letters which derive from a sublime world, a world of Bina, an internal level. And they, come, they radiate, they reveal without any, any screening. So it manifests in a huge letter, without any garments, like all the other letters. So there's so much mystery and there's so much depth and there's so much concealment that's beyond and behind every single letter in the Torah. And the revealed part is just the most superficial, the most external. And enables us to grasp. Because we are external and superficial and we are limited and finite. So therefore it has to come down in the most superficial way. But it doesn't change, doesn't alter the essence of the Torah. The essence of the Torah is the inner parts of the Torah, the light of the Torah, which is the infinite, which is the godly. And that will only be revealed when Mashiach will come. Mashiach is going to reveal the inner parts of the Torah, the light of the Torah. And we get a taste of it today with the Tanya. 
with Hasidus. Hashem is giving us a taste. So when a person just studies law, Talmud, legalese, and just studies the code of Jewish law, halacha, and the reasoning and the logic, the oral Torah, that's the body of the Torah. You're just studying the external part of the Torah. But when you study Hasidut, you're also getting a taste of the inner parts of the Torah, the infinite, where the Torah is, the way Hashem studies Torah. The Torah, the way it transcends logic and rational, it's beyond our limited, finite human logic and rational. So we get a taste of it when we study study Hasidus. What's the point of if we don't really understand it? How does it... Uh... Oh, what's the advantage? Because they're parallel. The body and the soul are perfectly parallel. The soul's ability to see perfectly matches the makeup of the eye. Physical physiology of the eye. Everything in the body is perfect parallel with the, the spiritual. So, yes, it's a parable, but it's an accurate parable. And that's why it says, that, uh, the Talmud says that, um, that blessed is the person, fortunate is the person who comes to the next world and he has his Talmud, his learning in his hands. And if a person, God forbid, had the opportunity to study Torah and doesn't study Torah, his soul is cut off from Hashem. Because every bit of Torah that we study in this world is a parable. It's a parable. But if, if, if it's like a piece of the puzzle. But if you miss one bit, bit of the parable, you miss out the whole. If you don't have the parable, you can't have the moral of the story. First you have to have the parable. You have to have it complete and whole. So the more Torah you learn and the more the body of Torah that you have, that will enable you to be able to understand the soul of the Torah and understand the inner. So every bit of Torah that we study, every bit of Allah that we study, every page of Talmud that we study, every opportunity that we have to study Torah, it's critical. My question is, what about the other way around? By studying Hasidus or Kabbalah or whatever, how does that add to the, to the learning of Torah? Oh, because you're studying the inner parts of the Torah, you're studying the light of the Torah, you're studying the Torah the way it's beyond the garments and beyond the screening. You're studying the Torah the way it's way so the inside. Them, we learn them separately. Right. We don't do, it's really, if, if you don't connect what we learn in the law with, with these, 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 these splendorous ideas that we get from Well, the, the ideal way of learning Torah is to connect that was a revolution of the Balshemtiv. Every bit of Talmud the Balshemtiv learned. At the end of the day, he showed how that bit of learning connects to my life and how it affects my life and what it means and what are the insights and what are the godly insights and spiritual insights and serving Hashem. Every single talk of the Rebbe when he discusses a complex halachic issue, it is. At the end of the day, he finds, turns it around and explains it according to Hasidus and how. It relates to us personally and how we connect with it. So the, this is the Hasidic revolution to bring the two together, to show that the two are one, are inseparable. 
So you're right, you have to study both and you have to connect the two. You have to show that it's really one. You find Hasidus in everything that you learn. Whether you're studying ethics of our fathers, whether you're studying Allah and Maimonides, or you're studying a juicy, deep uh, piece of Talmud. At the end of the day, everything that you learn, there is the godly insight and the Hasidic insight and the and it's, it, it, that lights a fire beneath you when you realize that everything that you learn in Torah every halacha has a godly counterpart and you know the way what it means and the, and a whole different level and a personal level so you, it's not just a dry technical mechanical law comes alive. It's, this is real life. This is personal. This is, there's a whole infinite depth behind this halacha. And every detail is relevant. In the parable, you don't, it's only when you realize the moral of the story that you look back at the parable and you realize that every detail of the parable was precise. It wasn't just coincidence. Everything points to another insight, to another. So to every halacha and every var- variance and every all the details, all the discussions, every detail is... So unless I have that, I can't really understand the moral of the story. So it's critical for a person to spend every opportunity he has to study Torah. It is about merging the two studies. It's not two separate studies. It actually becomes one. Each one enhances the other and each one amplifies the other. Studying Hasidahs enhances and amplifies your studying of Talmud and the studying of Talmud enhances and amplifies and Allah your studying of Hasidus that is the whole point and that goes back to the beginning of the letter which is he bases himself on the verse that he wraps himself with light is with a garment that the Torah is a garment but it's a garment that contains light. So yes, the Torah is a garment because the Torah reveals itself and encloses itself in logic and rational and understanding. But what's contained within this garment? The light, the infinite light that's really beyond, that's beyond ordinary logic and rational. And it's that light that's without screening, without any... That's the light, the light of Torah. That's the Hasidus, and that's the, the, the luminary of Torah. The core, the essence of Torah. That's the Hasidic teachings, the Hasidic light. So just like Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe, the level of prophecy reached the lower level of the divine emanation, the world of divine emanation, the most external level, so that's why it was through Moshe's prophecy that he gave us the Torah. The prophecy of Moshe. God spoke to Moshe and that became the five books of Moshe. Which is different than prophecy. It's a higher level of prophecy. It's the Torah itself. It's not just a prophecy. Because the Torah that Moshe gave us was also the external level of Torah. Moshe gave us the mitzvahs, the 613 mitzvahs. He gave us the practical, the do's, the don'ts, the laws, 
Allah. So that's like the infinite light revealing itself and enclosing itself in the external, in the parts that we can grasp, that we can do. And that's clear, cut, and that's the law. Do, don't. 365 prohibitions, 248 obligations, and the reasons behind them, the explanations. So all of this is the external level. So Moshe was able to, that's what he revealed, because that was his level. His level of prophecy was the external level. The Chachma comes down and is able to be revealed on our level. It's Mashiach who's going to reveal the light, the infinite part of the Torah, the Hasidic insights into the into the Torah. Godly insights into the Torah. But the Ari also does that. Well, it's more the mechanics, the Kabbalah, the metaphysics, still the engineering, the mechanics of the universe. He gives us the metaphysical mechanics of the universe. It's still the mechanics of the universe. So yes, well, the Arizal talks in lofty levels and levels that are even beyond the, the world of divine emanation, Chachma, and the inner level of Chachma, and even higher, and, and the Keter, and Adam Kadma, and even higher. But he's still giving us the mechanics of the universe. Kabbalah is giving us the engineering the mechanics, the metaphysical mechanics. It's not the light, the way the Torah is from the inside out, from Hashem's point of view, where the world doesn't exist. The infinite. The way Hashem is for Himself, not the way He relates to anything outside of Himself. And all there is is Hashem. Where the whole universe dissolves and all there is is Hashem. That aspect, that's... That's the core and essence. That's the Hasidus. That's the, the inner. It's the face of Hashem. So it's there. The internal is hidden and concealed in the external. It's all there. It's like the soul is, is in the body. It's there. The body contains it. It's there. You don't see the soul, but it's there. So the inner, the light, the infinite is contained within the external. But what did Moshe grasp? What was Moshe able to perceive and see and experience? Always able to convey and to reveal the external. The reasons and the logic and the do's and the don'ts and the... That was his prophecy. That's what he reads. That's what he was able to... But within this garment, within this body, within this, is contained the internal. Even though that's not revealed, you know, Moshe sees Hashem, so you just see, just seeing, seeing the back. It's also tremendous. But within Hashem, this is Hashem Himself, what Hashem is thinking, what Hashem is, Hashem's infinite self. So, Hashem is there. Hashem contains everything, it's all within Hashem. So, it's all there even though you don't perceive it. All you perceive is the back. But within there is contained, everything is contained. It's all there. 
So it contains everything. This is the internal aspect. The infinite aspect. And that's something that's there in the Torah. You know, we don't see it, but it's there. It says, Hashem created the world. The question is, the sun and the moon were not set till the fourth day, till Wednesday. Yet it says there was light. God says there should be light. And there was light. What do you mean? The sun, the sun wasn't set yet. How could there be light? And the answer is it was a different type of light. It was a miraculous type of light. It was a light where Adam could see from one end of the world to the other. And then Hashem hid it. After the seventh day, Saturday night, Hashem hid the light. Where did Hashem hide the light? It says he hid the light in the Torah. The Zohar is called light. Where did he hide it? He hid it in the Torah. So when people will come to ask the Baal Shem certain things, Baal Shem would open up the Zohar and would look and he would answer. People would ask him where their things are, where their, their wife ran away, or the, I mean the husband ran away. Hashem would look in the Zohar and say, go to this in this town, go to this city, you'll find your husband. Because he explained that light, that infinite light, it's in the Torah, Hashem hid it in the Torah. So those who know how to access the secrets of the Torah, the inner parts of the Torah, the, that infinite light, he can see from one end of the world, physically with his eyes, he can see from one end of the world to the other. He's able to answer and to see. And to answer and to see. So it's there. But it's, it's hidden and concealed. It's a mystery. But it's there. It's contained. It's inseparable. Every word, every letter, it's all there. But it's not revealed to us. We can't access it. So the only place we can access prophecy, we can access and receive and perceive and absorb, or the Torah that was revealed to us, Moshe revealed to us the revealed Torah. That's the revealed part. That's the external part. That's the body. But the light, the inner, the internal, that we can't access. It's there. We can't access. Mashiach will reveal the light. The inner. Behind every page of Talmud, behind every ruling, every Allah, and every sugya and shas, and every discussion, every mission, and every reveal the inner or the essence, the godly. That will be part of the astonishing revelation of Mashiach, the astonishing revelation, especially in the, the time of the resurrection. God's essence will be revealed and more so than even in the world in the Garden of Eden. And all the elevations of the Garden of Eden will be insignificant and nothing in comparison to the intense revelation of godliness that we're going to experience in the here and now in this physical world. And the revelation of Torah that will be revealed at that time. It will be the in- inner aspect of the Torah, the innermost aspect of the Torah, the innermost aspect of Hashem, the infant, unscreened, undiluted, revealed in its full intensity. How do we get that? How do we reach that? It's through the revealed Torah, by doing the mitzvah, because that's the most important thing. It's physically doing the mitzvah. And doing it, because that's what Hashem wants. 
not for the reasons and the explanations and the logic and the rational. That's just a tip of the tip of the tip of the iceberg, just a little taste. It's not even a glimmer of a ray. It's not even a, a drop in the infinite ocean. It doesn't even begin to exhaust. It doesn't even begin to grasp. It doesn't even scratch the surface. You do it because this is what Hashem wants. And by doing the mitzvah, because this is what Hashem wants, and physically doing the mitzvah in a revealed way, in an open way, in a practical way, this is what draws down Hashem's essence. And this will enable us to achieve the reward, the ultimate reward, when Hashem will reveal him, His inner, the innermost part of the Torah. And that was not revealed till now. Not even revealed to Moshe. Even as he graduates day to day in the Garden of Eden, one level to the next level, it's just dealing with the surface, the external. Not with the infinite light that's contained in the Torah. That will only be revealed to us by doing the mitzvah, the mitzvahs of Moshe, the Torah of Moshe, by doing the revealed mitzvah and doing it because this is Hashem's will. This will draw down, will merit the world to come in this world, in this life, the intense revelation of Hashem and this innermost aspect of the Torah to be continued. This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com